Welcome to the Next Step Business Podcast. I'm Bob Camp, your host. For each podcast, I'm inviting successful business leaders to discuss strategy, execution, high-performing teams, innovation, and more. Join us to learn more about getting the business you want and living life on your terms. I'm here with Ernest Chapman today, and Ernest is involved in so many different things and, and looks at things in so many different ways. Who knows where this conversation will go, but one of the things we talked about was is starting with this discussion about what branding is, maybe what it isn't. So, Ernest, welcome. So maybe we can start with what it isn't. There's there's so many misconceptions about it. I could think of a handful of things that just immediately come to mind. And I mean, it's like you're on you're on a, a call with a potential client, and they're they're talking about branding, and they know they need it. But then, what are the objections that come up, and what does that tell you about? what they think it even is. I just need someone to draw my logo. Great. Go hire someone to draw your logo. <laughs> That's all you think this is. <laughs> well, the, the, the truth is it's, it's a lot more than just like pretty pictures. It's what's behind the picture. It's the identity that that logo represents. So when you move through the world as a human, as a person, as an individual, you have a particular set of beliefs, values. You might have a mission in life. I hope you have a mission in life. Something that drives your behavior. And one of my coaches, one of my coaches, his name is Seth Ellsworth. You should look him up. He's a genius. He's got a very simple thing. He talks about identity-based choices. And then he flips it around and talks about choice-based identity. And this is in the world of, of mindset and performance executive coaching. But let's apply that to branding because it's all about crafting an identity that people will feel like part of their family. It's like part of their life. It's like hanging on the wall in their house. You know, people make art out of great brands. You know, the Campbell soup can is an iconic piece of, there's a lot of examples of that. So as a brand, uh, as a brand marketer, as a brand builder, as, as a consultant, as a person who creates brands and helps to sell them, you know, with all those feedback loops, I'm always coming back to the question of like, who are you? And who are you that makes you behave in a certain way? Who is your company? That's That gets into the core set of questions that we can probably dive into here of like, what is what is your identity? What are the choices that you're going to make based on who you are? And who are you choosing to be, both as an individual and as a company or a corporate entity? And then everything in between, which gets into all the fun stuff of like training a team, having internal processes having internal identity, having external processes, external identity. And when that stuff falls, it's not always clear where the pain is. Well, maybe you can know where the pain is, but it's not always clear what caused it to fall apart. So people like me, people like you, we get called in to be like chiropractors, go make some adjustments, get things in alignment. As you were talking through that, one of the things I was thinking about was when we're doing strategy work with clients, you know, we start with values, vision, and mission. And, and to your point, it's this element of first defining what is important to you. Yeah. And, and, and part of that, and you use the word identity, and I hadn't used it in that way. And it really is about identifying your identity, but that's your vision and mission starts coming into it. Because some of the things that we recognize is that not only is it important that you have this identity by which you go to market, but it's identity by which you attract talent. And when you know what that identity is, you're attracting talent that is consistent with who you are and what you want to be. And uh, that's that seems to be some of the hardest work 
that clients go through because it's easy to take a look at your business and say, okay, let's go pull these three levers and get better at them. It's hard to look at yourself as a business and say, here's what we need to be versus what we need to do. And, and when I think about brand, it's so easy for companies to screw up their brands because people aren't aligned behind it. I mean, that, that is the hardest work getting internal alignment behind the mission, vision, and values so that then what is projected externally, everyone's singing from the same hymnal, everyone knows what we're doing. That can be very difficult because I think for many people it, it, it comes as a surprise. So this is where you asked me a few weeks ago, you said, well, you know, I'd love to know kind of how did you get to where you are today? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, where I am today is I'm doing consulting, I'm building brands, I'm doing marketing strategy for my clients. Sometimes I get in there and I get my hands dirty and I make stuff with them or I train their teams. I give them processes. I give them upgrades and it's all based on what they need. It's dynamic. So it's not a one size fits all type thing. It's customized. I still have standard models and processes I work with, but I'm always tweaking it and fitting it. Like you go buy a nice suit from someone, they tailor it to your body. You're still buying this similar enough suit. It looks good. looks like the other suits. Something about it that's special, though. It's tailored. That's the approach. It's a tailored approach. Where did I I get that from? I actually got that from many, many years teaching music lessons professionally. And where did I get music lesson teaching from? Many, many years of playing music professionally. Where did I get that from? Many, many years of basically being a professional student myself. I am an obsessive student. And I think that curiosity really drives through everything I do. So one of the reasons why I love working with a handful of different clients is that I'm always learning new things about their businesses and then handing them breakthroughs that are happening from places they don't have access to because they're oftentimes in a lane. And then there's other people that are in another lane and they're not talking to each other. So in some ways, it's kind of like being a producer. You're the person that can put the record together, but even though there's a band playing and you might not be in the band, you're facilitating or like a midwife, you're letting something come through. So there's, a, there's a lot of connections between music and marketing, also mindset work, personal development. There's a handful of things that all start with the letter M. Martial arts is another one of them. But depending mm-hmm. on what you're interested in talking about, I can dive in a number of different directions and tie it back. I'm familiar with the, the music path, and because to your point, music has a structure. And much like you were talking about, there's a structure, but then there's elements of, of improvisation because every situation you walk into is different. Just as when you're standing you know, on a stage with a band, every situation is different because the audience is different. The band members are playing differently that day. And so you have this opportunity to rise above average because of the recognition of what is different. And, and, but there's still a framework behind it. But it's the elements of how do we leverage that structure to be not just what we need it to be, but what it can be, if that makes sense. 100%. There are creative disciplines. Music is a creative discipline. Design is creative discipline. Coding is a creative discipline. Fine art versus commercial art. There's always going to be that, that rub. There's always a little bit of conflict there, which is healthy. I've always been on the fine art side of music, much more than the commercial art side of it, which is why I got into teaching. Because if, if, you're, do, if you're doing purely commercial music, you're going to make more money than someone who's doing their fine art projects that may or may not click with, with a hungry buying audience. 
And that's actually how I got into marketing because I was like hitting my head against a wall trying to figure out how to do marketing for fine art music. <laughs> Not always the easiest thing, especially when you're bringing it to, to people in the music business that are really geared towards more like commercial stuff. But the, the overlaps are really interesting though. I mean, you, you mentioned the the moment of performance, which to me is, is a lot like, I mean, that's, that's what the product is. That's also the moment of closing the deal uh, and the, the moment of, of fulfillment. What's that word really mean? The idea of fulfillment is this experience of, of kind of like, you know, that moment, that moment when that happens, there's a shift, the vagus nerve relaxes. There's something that happens in your body when you're truly feeling fulfilled. You bite into that amazing whatever meal you want that you ate. you're eating. Uh, for me, it would be like a bacon cheeseburger or something. And there's just this incredible experience so how do we give people an incredible experience? You know, as musicians, as creatives, we're always trying to create a transcendent experience. People live their lives in a lot of pain a lot of the time. And they hide it, too. They don't tell their friends. They don't tell people. They hide their pain. I went to the symphony a couple of days ago. And my wife and I, we went. And, uh, and it was just amazing to sit there and just, like, take a bath in the sound and let it wash over us. And leave feeling elevated and, and like we had tapped into something. I was watching the conductor, I was watching the the the, the players, and I was and I, I know what it's like to be on that stage. I've played with symphonies before. Um, I know the kind of intellectual left brain, right brain kind of crossover. I know the kind of hyper creative combined with hyper technical that, that they that they're doing. But being in the audience, being in, oriented differently, and I grew up backstage, so I, it's always weird to be in the audience. But you know, I was in the audience the other day, and, and I just kind of took it in, and I felt like I had, I actually let myself fall asleep for part of it. Uh, not in a I'm bored kind of a way, but in a I'm going to see if I can fall asleep and wake back up and be in this. And it's going in deeper because I'm half awake. I'm letting it sink in deeper. So how can we give that level of profound, transformative beauty to everything we touch? That's what a creative lives and breathes. A creative, a true creative, that all they do is create. Their mission in life, their vision and their values is all about transformational experiences that they create for other people that they give to the world as a gift. Some of them are very withdrawn and withheld. Others are out there, you know, screaming from the rooftops, but it's really the same thing fundamentally. Now, so as a creative who's then taken that into the world of business and marketing and branding um, and growing businesses, one of the things that I'm always looking to do is to find little ways um, to do for business clients what I never really wanted to do for music, which is take creative expressions, artistic expressions that are, that are genuinely interesting and engaging but then actually have them serve a business purpose. I really struggle to do that with music. And the reason I struggle to do that with music is I am completely uncompromising. I absolutely will not uh, put my identity on anything musical that isn't exactly what I feel like experiencing. But for some reason, maybe it's because my dad was a therapist. He was trained by Albert Ellis, Rational Emotive Therapy. My stepdad's a shrink. He sees clients all the time. I've absorbed a lot of that kind of thinking over, the, over my lifetime. 
But in the world of working with clients, I can, I can actually almost um, be like a chameleon and step into their world and, and understand and learn and figure out what, what, who are they serving? What, is that, what does that person need? What are they looking for? What do they expect to see? What can we surprise them with? How can we delight them? What can we do to cause them to lean in and click on something and give us their information and want to actually have a relationship with us at the top of the funnel? What kind of uh, visuals do they need to see? What kind of colors do they need to, to what kind of fonts? What, you know, what, the, what does the logo need to look like? What, what do the words need to say? What's that top line of the chorus? What's the title of the song? What's that thing that's going to make you stop and go, I need to go check that out? I found that it's much easier to do that with marketing products and services and with businesses than it is for me to do that with, with music. And I know songwriters that they go and they write hit songs and they sit in a room like anyone else going to any other job and they write every day and they have appointments and they have, it's a, it is a business. It is what they do professionally. They are masters of their craft. And those are the people that raised me. That's my mom. She's like that. I never wanted to do that. And I didn't know that. I had this epiphany year, a few years back. I didn't know that I didn't want to do it. So I was doing all this creative music, but I just wanted to be Tchaikovsky. So I know I'm kind of jumping all over the place, and you probably have thoughts or ideas, but these things all connect for me. It's a big set of things that all connect. And, and the goal is to bring it to a client in five words or less. And the idea is that, that your branding should include go-to-market strategy. The, the branding should include an understanding of how you're going to sell the thing. It, it should include it either as a set of hypotheses that need to be tested quickly to validate through sales, or it should be with something that's already validated. Otherwise, you run the risk of doing vanity branding and having vanity metrics and having um, the lipstick on a pig phenomenon. A, a perfect example of a client that I have right now uh, that I can name is Harvey's ATV parts. They're in a hot market. When you're in a hot market... You can you can do okay and still make a killing. And if you're in a not hot market, you could have the best, perfect stuff imaginable, and no one's going to buy it. I want to be the guy selling hot dogs after the game lets out on the street corner. That's that's where I want to be. Part of the strategy of great branding needs to include understanding location, location, location. Like what market are you in? Who are the people that want what you're selling? Have you already sold some of this? Optimize before scaling. If you're trying to, you've got a great idea, you know, maybe don't spend $30,000 on the brand until you've spent, you know, five or, or you know, 7.5 on some minimal thing to just go do testing, to mm-hmm. sell 10 of them. You know, it depends if it's low ticket, high ticket, mid ticket. But get some sales traction first because that feedback loop that you'll start getting that voice of customer at the very end point of sales, that's where great branding actually should be coming from. Great branding should be coming from the hopes and dreams and the voice of the customer. So if you're doing branding and you're not capturing the voice of the customer, you're kind of flying blind, in my opinion. And I've been guilty of that in the past when, when I was first getting started and I wasn't thinking as much like sales and, and sales-focused marketing, and it was more like, hey, I'm this creative guy that's done all this creative work. Well, after some seasoning, you know, I keep coming back to it, and now it's pretty much where I always start. I'm like, great, we're going to do some branding. Who's buying this? Cool. Do you know where they live? Do you know who they are? 
how many have you sold? And immediately they're like, well, why are you asking me these questions? Um, well, because I want your brand to win. <laughs> um, it's okay if you haven't sold any yet. That's okay if it's hypothesis, but let's be clear about this. The first thing you need to do is validate this with some sales. There, there's a path there. There's a framework there. That's a really important point because you and I work together at, in, in an entrepreneur environment at an entrepreneur center. And, and I come from the background of, for most entrepreneurs, that's where I start is go get it sold before we start spending money on advertising. And, and to your point, that's, that's really an old model of, of advertising is can I sell it? Why are people buying it? Who, are, who is buying it? And what are the attributes of those people? What are the common themes that we need to be looking for? And now I can start building my branding and spending money on advertising. But when you're in those face-to-face conversations with people, you get to know firsthand what is of interest to them or, or what are the reasons that they're buying what they're buying? What, what are the motivations? Is it financial? Is it qualitative? Is it timely? What can you do to get them to buy your watch? As long as it's a good watch. If it's not a good watch, you need to go improve your product. Another part of it is who does that watch let you become? I think that's a big piece of the puzzle. It depends on what you're selling. I don't need my identity to tell me what kind of coffee I'm going to drink, but wait, actually, maybe I do. See, I think I'm smarter than that, but maybe <laughs> I'm not. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. What, what kind of music I listen to tells me who I am. What kind of products I buy also tell me who I am. I think one of the biggest challenges for me has been overcoming the cognitive dissonance of being an artist and a musician that comes from, and I, I grew up in the 90s. I am not Gen X and I am not a millennial. I don't know what, what that means. I was born in 1981. I'm 41 years old. I am in between these two generations. I think the millennials are all insane and I think the Gen Xers are all insane for totally different reasons. And they probably all <laughs> think I'm insane. But growing up in the 90s, there was a, an attitude of anti-corporate, uh, anti-authoritarian, sort of anti-establishment but it was very much like um, there's a libertarian feel to it, but, but it was on the left. It wasn't a right thing. It was a very, and you know, there's a culture around rebellion and youthful rebellion, especially in music. There's a shift between the uncompromising vision of an artist who's very rebellious, who doesn't want to be told what to do, and what is absolutely required to have success in the marketplace with target audiences that have very specific demand and desire and wants and needs that you have to marry up different products and services with. And being good at that can actually feel alienating for someone who hasn't made the leap to understand the tail is wagging the dog. That's why Burger King, their customers always right thing was, was pretty effective. Burger King was not there to tell you what to eat, like Steve Jobs saying, you don't know what you want, but I do, and I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to like it. Uh, he was he was a unicorn. He, he had a different thing going on. And, 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 but isn't that interesting? So there's all these musicians that are in marketing. There's all these creatives that have been, that, that have found their way to creative services, to agency work, to advertising, to marketing. And I think all of them have different versions of this cognitive dissonance. I see it all the time, especially working with vendors, contractors, graphic designers, copywriters. So many of them are themselves uncompromising creatives that want to do the great work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yet they're writing a piece of copy that's going to go on a website to sell a widget for something. 
that for some audience of people that they are not in. That's interesting. Some people can do it. Some people struggle. (laughs) Businesses can get caught up into their own cycles and their own thinking, and it becomes incestuous, for lack of better terms, because you're always hearing the same things over and over again. But when you're really focused on how do I, you know, make this gear work a little smoother? How do I make this process a little more refined? When it's always focused on refinement, you have to bring in the creative element, someone with a different idea, a different perspective. And that's the reason why, you know, one of the, one of the companies I, I work with today, their leaders is a former banker, a big idea guy. He's the kind of guy who says, okay, I have an idea. This is a great idea. This is, you know, this is going to be awesome. And then you have this engineering operations guy says, great, now we need to be able to figure out how to make a thousand of them, not just one of them, and make a thousand of them great. And then they have a theater person in there, and she's more focused on what's the customer experience, how they're going to, you know, how are they going to live this, how are they going to, how do we make this really valuable to them? And they want to continue, you know, with, with that value. And so it's those elements of bringing different thinking or different perspectives together are the pieces that help companies break out of where they've been. And and, and you used a word earlier, and it was in this conversation, another one we had, but it's, it's this transformative piece that happens because you're not limiting yourself based upon your limited experience. How do you step out and look for the transformative opportunities? So if nothing was in the way, if there were no obstacles to remove, what would be the 100% of what you're doing? That's another way to to look at that. The musical example, since we're tying things back to music, if if I am attempting to learn how to play an instrument, and what I want to do is be able to think any thought in my hands, do it on a piano or a clarinet or a guitar or whatever it is, there's a, there's a, a there's something between zero and a hundred percent capability that anyone can have at any given time to to have a thought and execute it flawlessly the moment the thought happens. Martial arts, same thing. All that training is so that you have a set of reflexes that can hopefully save your life and hopefully you'll never have to use them. Uh, and you only get one chance. You only get one chance when you get put on that spot. You walk out on a stage and you only get one shot to be in that moment. So from zero to a hundred, there's some you know percentage of nothing in the way. So if, think about hot markets. Think about clients, companies that, that are in hot markets. If you can remove all of their obstacles, if you can clean up their branding, if you can get the positioning right, get the identity right, kind of forge that identity. And then you can get a good go-to-market plan and the sales plan works and and there's just literally nothing in the way, then you can scale that thing as far as how great the idea is and how great the, the need and the demand is. And then, you know, there's a limit to everything. Where I think is this, this gets interesting and also kind of sticky is like, what if, what if there's nothing in the way and your idea just sucks? <laughs> what if there's nothing in the way and you could be that piano player that could play anything and there's nothing going on upstairs? <laughs> you have writer's block. Or there's not you're not in a hot market. I mean, I've had clients before that I've that I've said, listen, we just did a whole bunch of 
study. We did some surveys. We talked to people. We did market research interviews. We recorded them and transcribed them. Here's a stack of stuff. Um, not sure <laughs> this is the best market to be. <laughs> right. You may need to pivot. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great to learn that as quickly as possible? Before you go spend a bunch of money putting more lipstick on the pig, switch the pig out for something else. Um, those are the hardest conversations to have, though. People don't want to hear that. It's important to make sure that first step out there is a good thing. And I think that's one of the things that some of business owners or, or executives really get tied up into saying, because they're used to being the way they are, something new is very uncomfortable. And and, and that's a transition. And then that, that out of the transition becomes a transformation, but they got to take that first step. How would you help them make a first step? Or, or where have you seen people make that first step that, that, that really starts to change what they're doing? I've been lucky. I've, I've been able to work with a lot, a lot of startups and a lot of early stage companies and early growth mm-hmm. companies. I've had a couple where I've been, I've actually had one a couple years ago that was pretty large that was entrenched, <laughs> dealing with entrenched stakeholders that don't want to change. I run across that sometimes. I think the challenge is in communication. It's in how do you make it safe to think differently? And you have to, to take a personal approach and, and really understand that they need to understand that you're there, you're in their corner, you're there to help them. And also, if they think you're wrong, okay, that's fair, cool. You may think that, that you know, maybe we can argue about the data, but, you know, at the end of the day, they're the ones that get to decide what they do. But don't shoot the messenger, right? The market is going to do it to them anyway. So mm-hmm. it's just a question of whether or not you want to get ahead of what's going to happen. It's not going to, you know, you'll run out of money. Sales won't pick up. Like things, things will conspire against you if you don't fix some of these things. So it's like being a doctor, right? So you're you're giving a diagnosis and a prognosis. You're there to diagnose a condition and to prescribe some treatments. Mm-hmm. But no one ever blames the doctor because they have a condition. You would hope. I guess that would be malpractice. We should try to avoid that. I don't know if that answers the question quite, but I I think it comes down to mindset and personal connection, making it safe for people to look at things differently and to to consider that they may need to change. And I think part of the problem that you're going to run into there that that I've seen is they get their egos involved and they get attached to outcomes that haven't happened yet or that should happen or this shouldn't be this way. And all of that stuff is psychology. I mean, like I got a statue of Buddha right there. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to have a mindfulness practice. I think it's very important to exercise, to meditate. These are really where the changes happen. When, when you get someone who's actually receptive to the idea of having a morning script where they tell themselves who they are in the morning, that's where brand therapy came from. You know, who are you to yourself, by yourself, internally, in your heart of hearts, what are you doing every day? What are the patterns that you do every day? And to me, that's what marketing is doing too. It's, it's taking a hot market, being smart enough to know where to go fishing, first of all. If you're dropping your line in a sewer, you're not going to catch anything worth eating. So you find a hot market, but then how do we eliminate those obstacles? It, it, to me, it's like the same thing. Everywhere I look, I'm seeing the same patterns. I know that may, that may be annoying <laughs> for some listeners. They're like, but it's not all the same. You just said 17 different things. What do you mean? 
But it, these these are principles. So if we come from a place of principle, you know, go read Ray Dalio's principles. Mm-hmm. We come from a place of core, fundamental, foundational principles. That is in the core of who we are and what we do. Back to Seth Ellsworth, choice-based identity and identity-based choices. Put those things together and you can make action plans. As long as you're in the right market, which you have to be selective about where you go fishing, you can do some serious damage with this stuff. I mean, these are power tools. This is like walking into a Home Depot and you can just take anything you want and throw it in your cart with the stuff we're talking about here. There's another piece of the, the fishing analogy that I, I have to come back to, though, um, which is the fisherman. <laughs> so mm-hmm. you can't just cast that line in and set the thing. I mean, you see that happen. Like, go out to the Gulf of Mexico and watch those guys that, like, have five lines going and they're sitting drinking a beer. And it's like someone's got to be there to reel it in. Someone's Someone's got to be present. So, you know, that... that <laughs> It's not just automated. <laughs> Thanks for bringing that together. You're, you're absolutely right. You've got to be paying attention through the whole process. If you haven't nailed your brand and now your marketing starts working, but then your customers aren't coming back because it isn't what they found to be what they were hoping for, what you were presenting, you've, you know, then you have this brand of despair, lack of better terms. Well, that, that was when we first met. There was uh, these workshops I remember going into and seeing a lot of people trying to go to market with brand positioning that was unclear and uh, brand identity that was unclear. And I remember sitting in this room going, oh, man, should I say it? Am I, is this going to piss everybody off? Because <laughs> like, I was there to do marketing consulting. And I was like, yeah, I'm just going to say it. <laughs> like, I think we need to, think we need to redo <laughs> brand here. Sorry to be that guy. <laughs> But we had some really interesting transformations that came out of it. And, and I think about the, the, the branding work I've done, you know, I guess it's that was about five years ago, just in the interim, I was starting to get into it at that point, and I've just done more and more and more of this, and I keep seeing the same patterns over and over again. When you get the positioning right, and the positioning is locked in with validated sales, those two things, that sort of duo, get that right first, and then all the other stuff is so much less friction getting it out there. I mean, I think of I think of one of my favorite restaurants in Nashville is Acme Feed and Seed. And we did brand therapy with them. And really the end result of it was four words. But the, these four words kind of got plastered on everything and, and reinvigorated the internal culture and, and also helped a lot with the positioning, which is where the locals go. And that's an interesting four words, where the locals go. First of all, it's true and second of all, there's a problem on Broadway. And the problem is that there's a lot of just like crazy drunk idiot, bachelorette party. Like, don't get me wrong. I love that, that you know, more people are coming to Nashville and the economy is growing and all that. But there's a dark side to it. And for someone who grew up here, if I'm going to go somewhere, where would I go? You know, I don't really want to go to to one of these honky tonk places that's like it just feels alienating in some ways. And it feels like... It, there's something weird about it. Uh, but you go to Acme and you're like, this is super cool. This is comfortable. Like everyone's friendly. It's chill. It's, and it's local owned and food's amazing. And where the locals go? That's only four words. I love doing that. I, I want to try to do that with everything. You know, five words or less. Can you say it in five words or less? 
You immediately know what it is. You know you want it. There's nothing in the way. To your point, it's this element of how do I reduce it to its simplest form so that it's it's not just memorable, it's it becomes embodied in in the experience. Bringing someone into a creative process, I think for a lot of, of people that are in the trenches in their businesses every day, it's something they look forward to because they're actually having fun. <laughs> you know, uh, there's some challenging aspects to it, but it's like, man, how cool is it to go backstage and hang out with the musicians and watch them run their scales and arpeggios before the show, you know, on a couch in a green room, just warming up their fingers or something. I mean, there's a bit of that feeling of kind of pulling back the creative curtain. Of course, not every person that's in the trenches in their business isn't creative. There's plenty of people that are creative and, in fact, know how to do all the stuff we're talking about. And so with those types, it's a different kind of partnership or collaboration because it's it's like um, I've got a client right now that, I, that I'm absolutely loving working with, and she's a complete badass CEO. And she's, she's, you know, had multiple startups in the past and done great e-commerce work. And actually I have two different, um, two different clients that kind of fit this bill. Another one's a CMO and I tend to work with executives and, 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 and business owners. And some of them have already done all the stuff that I'm doing, but they still need another person to kind of bounce things off of. And, and, you know, why don't you go come up with a strategy and bring it back and then we'll kind of play with it together. And it's like Miles Davis still had a band. <laughs> it wasn't just him by himself playing trumpet looking cool. He always had the best musicians on the planet around him. Um, so if you get to be in a band with somebody who's great, you know, you could be a hired gun or you could be a founding member of the band. But at the end of the day, it needs to feel like that. And so another thing that I'm really keen on in the world of, of you know, bringing creative, transformative thinking and, and, and experience into business transactions, business relationships is can, like, can we make this fun? Like, could, could we like actually enjoy ourselves? <laughs> like, it's, it's not all spreadsheets and KPIs, you know, that's, you've got to have that stuff right. To, to be a high level musician, you have to be able to play. You have to be able to nail, you have to hit targets. To be a great martial artist, you have to be able to perform under pressure and, and, and do it right every time basically, because that's it, you know. All the things that begin with a letter M, they involve a certain level of technical skill, acquisition, and then mastery. But, but like, once you're over that hump, then it, it's like, it's all about the hang. And then can we win? Because winning is fun. Winning is fun. And it's, it's, it's those elements of how do you bring all those together? Because that's what makes it sustainable. And, and so I always think about sustainability. And sustainability isn't about staying the same. It's this, it's this element of being able to, you know, how do I recognize, how do I sometimes reinvent, how do I refine? There's all these you know, elements of it. So as we bring this to a close, I'll leave you with the last piece here. But I think the big piece that you hit in here, one is bringing in these other resources that you may not have as your core, or if you do, it's about bringing in new energy, new ideas, new thoughts. But when you bring in someone into your business or or your business is, is evolving, it's all the work you have to do in preparation for the time you actually get in front of a customer or for the time you're actually in the process of hiring somebody. It's all the preparation. 
So, you know, whether it's martial arts or music or fishing, there's all these things you have to learn to get better at. And it is, and, and the, the key word is mastery. And it is a process. It is not something you arrive at. You always are continuing that process because there's always something else to get to. It's that obsession of getting better. So if you could close up with that. Yeah. Mastery is about the non-negotiable facts of what you're capable of that come from all the things that no one ever sees. Nobody sees your inputs but you. You're the only person who really knows what you're doing. So really, at the end of the day, you're the master of your own reality, whether you realize it or not. So realizing that then becomes a question of what am I choosing? What are the choices I'm making that make me who I am? And who, I, who am I that I would make those choices? So for me, it, it comes down to a series of choices that, that I'm always looking to create the conditions to be able to make. I think it was Napoleon who, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get this quote wrong, but the the spirit of it is is right, and you can fact check me later. But one of his generals was like, well, the conditions aren't right for for us to win, and then some bad thing was happening, and he was like, all right, well, change the conditions. <laughs> so how can we pre-frame our lives for mastery? And I think a lot of that has to do with alignment. What's in your heart? What do you love? What are you good at? What do you want to do? Um, what is hardwired, what's nature, what's nurture, take that inventory and then go, what's possible? And for me, it was, I've got all these creative skills, but I also have a pretty sharp intellect. Um, How can I put them together to create something that's incredibly valuable for someone other than myself? And I had to make a choice. And the choice I had to make was, do I want to do that with music? Um, do I want to do that with teaching music or do I want to do that with something else, which became marketing, branding and, and sales. And I made the choice to put that focus on the other area so that music and teaching music would be protected from the thing that I so enthusiastically describe in marketing, which is letting the tail wag the dog. I had to protect this, this thing that I do that's that's completely uncompromising. I had to protect that. And in, in the act of setting it aside and making it quote-unquote sacred, which is literally the means, the word sacred means that you've set something aside, I preserved it, protected it, kept it for where, where it is, and then built this other thing that's been very successful that I love. So it's like I've got this, this gift, and, and, and I feel like I have a garden. So every day I'm thinking about, well, what am I doing to optimize myself? And if that can rub off on the people that I'm working with, then I, then I feel good about it too. Like, you know, in, in terms of ethically persuading someone to get their inputs in line, it's like, well, I have to be doing the things I'm telling you to do. Having really clear, like written agreement with myself on who I am and what I'm doing, and I read it to myself every day in the morning. And it, it actually lays out what it is that I'm focused on mastering. And I always throw a few nuggets in that are out of timeline on purpose that I'm not at yet, so that I create cognitive dissonance intentionally, that I, I, I tell myself that there, I, and I speak in the, the internal present tense, I am this, I am doing that, and there's a couple things that haven't happened yet, so that when I tell myself that, the, the, the discomfort that that creates causes me to 
rebuild the world around me to eventually hit those goals. And that's successfully happened a few times. But to me, it does come down to that core level of identity and my own identity and then anyone that I'm working with, like who they are, what their choices are, what they want. How do we put, put all that into what your goals are? So that's where brand therapy came from. I'm just always doing it to myself, basically. Uh, and it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm.